Talk Recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, of course, July 4th, 2015. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. If I do some quick math, I can imagine that we're in the 239th year of the time of Jacob's trouble, in my estimation. This is our continued presentation and discussion of Pastor Mark Downey's two-part series on white genocide. The first part was titled, so as to describe the idea of white genocide as the ultimate curse. Because those of us who believe that whites are suffering genocide are inviting a curse upon themselves. This program is the continuance of of our discussion of Mark's second sermon, which illustrated the resolution of this issue, and which is entitled, No Silver Bullet, because there is no easy solution to this dilemma for our people. From Isaiah, from chapter 9, from verse 5, we read, For every battle of the warrior is confused, is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. Today, the battle for the survival of our race is certainly confused with noises of every kind. But as we have previously illustrated here, for Christians, there is one noise we should not repeat, and that is the cry of white genocide, a cry which is absolutely contradictory to the promises of Christianity and to the plan and the will of our God. If the God of the Christian Bible can accurately presage for us many centuries in advance the rise and fall of many great empires, if he can predict for us the patterns of apostasy and the unseemly behavior behaviors which we succumb to, and if he can foretell for us the circumstances which cause those patterns, then it would serve us to listen to that same God who accurately informs us of the things which afflict us, where he also offers us instructions by which to remedy our situation. Therefore, his is the only noise we should focus upon in the execution of our battle. However, that which most white nationalists refuse to hear is echoed in the words of Paul of Tarsus, where he said that Christians must be in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when their obedience is fulfilled. In other words, There is no victory in our dilemma until we choose to obey the voice of our God. Like it or not, whites must come to grips with the fact that what is happening to our white nations today is a result of our own sin, and we cannot change what is happening until we we choose to repent from our sin. 
And here we shall introduce Pastor Mark Downey. Evening, Bill. Amen to that. Well, if I may open with a prayer. Of course. Our Father in heaven, um, thank you for the time this evening to bring forth the message of salvation for the white race. I'm your watchman, Bill Fink, and myself to humbly argue against the paranoia of secular proclamations which are contrary to your word. May our understanding of your profuse commands to fear not begin to resonate with the people you have chosen to boldly and fearlessly proclaim the good news of our identity. May the lost sheep of the house of Israel be found and fulfill their divine destiny. May our message tonight dispel the darkness, giving our people eyes to see, to lift the blindness that is upon Israel. May our message be a blessing to those with ears to hear, that our race will never be forsaken by its creator. Let those who listen and hear the truth hear it boldly with our stiff-necked and spiritually blind kindred. For we know all things work together for good. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We pray these things in the name of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I think we stopped last time uh, just short of... Um, an interesting email I got from a fella, and I, I think it typifies uh, the, the feelings of a, a great many people. Um, so I'd like to share some excerpts from it. Um, quote, I want you to know that I greatly enjoy your writings and am immensely relieved to detect the same fiery passion in your writings. That same warlike fury that I have kept bottled up within myself for many years. I had thought for a long time that perhaps there was something wrong with me, with all this pent-up hostility, anger, and hatred. But now, I see it's just a bit of good old righteous indignation. I have to tell you, though, I'm watching, and I have seen very few within my scope of experience, that actually perceive or want to perceive the true Antichrist in this world. I don't think people really want to see them. People are inundated with the symptoms of the Jew world order, but they reject and even resent me putting together the pieces and showing them the source of the cancer that eats away at our civilization. I think they prefer to believe that all of the ills of our modern society are just normal attributes of progress and change and technological advancements. And certainly they don't want to hear about any biblical signs and warnings of the end of the age birth pains. And even when I feel I've seized an opportunity and been an effective communicator, it seems that within a span of a few months, they've forgotten it all. They're back in total blindness again, incapable and unwilling to see the hook-nosed bastards behind the curtain. 
The memories of our conversations are buried once more beneath the mounds of their self-administered Talmud vision re-indoctrination. The satanic Jew mind control is very pervasive, powerful, and overwhelming. Should I try to speak from my own Christian Israelite perspective to friends and family, I can now generally expect to be rudely interrupted and cut off long before ever approaching anything remotely supernatural or shocking. I guess maybe people now see where I'm headed with it, and they just don't want to go there. In parentheses, he has, hey, man, don't bum me out. I got to think about my retirement. Or, not now, there's a football game coming on. Oh, Americans seem to think that the pursuit of happiness means that they shouldn't have to confront anything unpleasant if they don't want to, especially if it involves tackling hordes of diabolically clever and evil dirtbags dispatched from the devil himself. It's very disillusioning and disheartening at times trying to reach the hearts and minds of people I care about. And certainly I have become less inclined over time to want to continue trying to wake the same people up, especially when I know that when I'm around, I'm essentially whispered about as some kind of kook. I'm a simple watchman just trying to spread what I learn and certainly would never imply that I am a prophet by any stretch of the imagination. But truly, the prophet has no honor in his hometown, end quote. Well, I appreciate that letter more than he knows, and I think there's thousands of others like him, if not millions. But what we have before us is disconcerting. You know, tribulation work of patience, and patience is on the clock. The time will come, according to the word of God, when that patience has formulated the ways and means of victory. And the sons of thunder will strike like lightning. The, the, um, the tendency of people to willingly trade away their liberty for a false sense of security is as old as time. Thucydides had written about that of the ancient Athenians 2,500 years ago almost, that the, um, it, it's an age-old problem. People don't want to be bothered, that they want to be left to their amusements, and they don't want any responsibility because the maintenance of true liberty requires diligence, and, and people would rather be left to amusements than to spend their evenings in the diligent safeguarding of their true liberty. So we've never been able to hold on to liberty for any long period of time. It could be a very uh, fleeting virtue. And uh, virtue is something you have to struggle with continually. Um, most civilizations uh, fall by a lack of virtue and, and devolve into vices. And uh, we can certainly see that roundabout uh, just about anywhere in America today. 
well, I can I can appreciate the, um, the frustration that uh, this gentleman articulated, but um, he's he's still um, uh, fighting uh, to communicate with anybody that will listen, and that's commendable. Uh, he he has an understanding of liberty. As long as we have the freedom to communicate with our people, um, that's a freedom that we should hold on to dearly. You know, even if you think there's, uh, if these white nationalists think there's an imminent white genocide, from a Christian perspective, there's an axiom stated many times that there is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs fourteen twelve. And Romans six twenty and twenty one says when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. Now what benefit were you getting at that time from the things which you are now ashamed? At the end of those things are death. In other words, we reap what we sow, even if you're not a Christian, because we can discern the cause and effects over time through the prism of history. Uh, The problem, as some people see it, is that our race is dying off, and they have no idea what to do about it other than raising the specter of ominous placards and billboards avoiding the S word, sin. And I came up with kind of a a anagram for S-I-N. It's the suicide of Israelite nations. And and that's a good analogy because sin basically is that the, um, it invites the wrath of God it invites that the um, harvest which our actions cause us to reap, and, and it does invite the destruction of our nations. And that's outlined in the scripture. The God of the Bible foresaw the apostasy, apostasy of our people in this very time. And he predicted the nature of this punishment as well as when it would happen. When I say this punishment, I mean the perceived genocide of the white nations, the white nations being overrun with all of these aliens. Once we as Christians realize the inevitability of our chastisement for our sin, and once we see the value of the promises of deliverance from that chastisement, we should find an inner peace which keeps us from becoming disillusioned with hopelessness even while we struggle to convince our fellow whites concerning the nature of what is transpiring. And I think we we touched on sin a little bit last time, and and there's more to say about that. There is no rest from our enemies or divine judgment. Uh, 
except through repentance. Uh, we each have a different bullet to kill the old man or our carnal nature because we all commit different sins or crimes. We don't all repent of the same thing, in other words, and yet repentance is a temporary solution to a permanent problem because Christ has not yet returned to destroy the cause of death, the wages of sin, and to regenerate the lost sheep of the house of Israel so that they are no longer lost. An enemy wants our people to remain lost without a shepherd or ever finding our true identity or the cause of our suffering. Those who sin together should repent together. And I speak nationally. Our our nation uh, should get down on their knees for all these things that are plaguing our land. The problem is the white race is so diffused spiritually, of being either for or against Christ, of having two perspectives of our race bringing forth the Christian fruits of the kingdom of God, or our race is heading for a complete extinction, either the good news of the gospel or the bad news of secular nationalism. And there is a bone of contention that goes to the heart of our survival. Can there be such a thing as peaceful coexistence between our race and other bipeds upon the planet? Well, the Lord God in Genesis 3.15 says, no. He says, I will put enmity or hostility between thee and the woman and between thy offspring and her offspring. I believe this cannot be talking about anything other than God's racially pure creation of Adam, which he called good, and the racially impure mongrels, which God had no part in creating and are considered evil. Now, process that thought with the modern scrambling calling good evil and evil good. No wonder people are confused. The root of the alien invasion and wickedness in high places is not the dumb mongrel walking across our unsecured borders. It's it's this insidious mentality of universalism among our own kind, uh, ignoring God's law that simply states, they shall not dwell in thy land. And if we read the rest of that verse in Exodus 23, 33, we'll see the effects. which says, lest they make thee sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto you. Now, a snare has only one purpose, and that's to kill its prey. You can count on a guaranteed change, not for the better, if the alien dwells in a white nation. That's exactly what Obama promised, and he delivered. It's a slow, physical, and spiritual suicide, not genocide. And it's self-inflicted. It's forsaking the laws of God. If there is a white genocide, you can bet that it's 
boiling the frog in the saucepan slowly variety. But nothing compared to the Jew Bolshevik slaughter of white Russian peasants that was 10 times that of the fabled Holocaust. It's interesting that you use that analogy, boiling the frog in the saucepan, because the, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ, as it's interpreted in, in my own writing, describes three unclean frogs, and I identify them with the ideals which we saw at the beginning of the age of of secular humanism, the age of reason, and, and those ideals are Jewish, and they are liberty, fraternity, and equality, and they are inextricably linked together by the Jews against the, uh, against the white nations, the white Christian nations, and our people took up that slogan of the Jews and made it their mantra several hundred years ago. And we are warned in Scripture of a flood which was to come from the serpent's mouth to persecute the woman. And understanding the symbolism of Scripture, we can see that the serpent represents the international Jew, and the woman is representative of the white nations of the descendants of ancient Israel. The serpent speaks liberty, equality, and fraternity. And over a short time, the other races, the non-white races, are allowed to flood the lands occupied by the woman. These other races, which we see, come into all of the former, I'm going to say former Christian nations, because now we may as well be Jewish nations, in, in, um, in our philosophy at least, all of these former Christian nations are being flooded by these other races, which are the flood from the mouth of the international Jew the serpent of the Bible. These are the races of the canker worms, the caterpillars, the pommel worms, and the locusts of the prophet Joel, who swarm into our lands and devour everything they can. And, of course, the Bible warns about that. The Word of God insists that we remain a separate people, Yet we have embraced these Jewish ideals of liberty, equality, and fraternity, so now we have reaped what we have sown. We disregarded, we abandoned our Christian values to embrace these other races, and now we're being overrun by the other races. It's, it's punishment in kind. As repentant Christians, we develop an inner peace in the assurance that ultimately all of these aliens here are here to be destroyed for the glory of our God. The question lies in how many of our own white brethren are going to fall victim to this 
and themselves be destroyed before our deliverance is effected. Well, I remember reading about um, these three unclean frogs in in your book, uh, Christ Reich. (coughs) And uh, it just occurred to me that a, a frog is an amphibian meaning they live in land and water. And that's really, might be speaking of the law of the land and, and the law of the sea. The law of the sea is the captain of a ship is the law. And when the law of the sea came on to land, uh, that's the same thing as man playing God in, in, in the courts and in legislatures today uh, where they usurp the law of the land, which is God's law. This, this whore, the great whore that sits upon many waters in uh, Revelation 17, I believe, uh, is explained in verse 15 where it's... Um, all the other bipeds of the earth, the many peoples and uh, tongues and whatnot. And there's another whore in the Bible, and it's our own people. Uh, The house of Israel went whoring after strange gods. And for that, they went into their Assyrian captivity. They went into bondage. And I guess there's nothing new under the sun that we have uh, white nationalists today that are basically doing the same thing. They're whoring after strange gods, whether it's secular humanism or paganism or what have you. And so um, uh, that seems to be a, a contrast in, in our in, in John's revelation. It explains it rather well. Um, in his choice of uh, symbols. And I kind of like that uh, idea of a frog being unclean because um, it certainly does represent land and water. Well, well, that hoardage that that sits upon many waters is actually describing the same woman that John had seen in Revelation chapter 12. And the woman is Israel with the 12 stars representing the 12 tribes, which represents the white races of the people of Europe that descended from the ancient children of Israel. When John is brought back, the the woman is sent off into the desert in Revelation 12 to find refuge from the serpent who, who was persecuting her. And then in John chapter 17, in, in Revelation chapter 17, I'm sorry, John is taken back out into the desert where he sees the woman once again. And this time he sees the woman and she becomes a great whore because she has joined herself to a beast. And, and the beast is that Jewish world mercantile system. And and that so aptly describes the situation of our race today. And John proceeds to describe that the beast hates the woman 
and starts to destroy the woman. And that's exactly what the Jewish world mercantile system, which because our race adopted it, it became supreme over the world. Now it is in turn destroying our race. All of this symbolism in Revelation chapter 17 and 18 is connected to the system of world trade and the laws, the mercantile laws, which are contrary to the laws of God, which represent a part of, or at least the legal aspect of, Mystery Babylon. So this, this um, picture drawn by the words of John in the Revelation is a perfect description of what's happening in the world today as we can see our race in relationship to the Jewish central banking system and the Jewish um, flooding of, of the white nations with these other races. It's perfect. And, and in Revelation chapter 18, it goes into all of this um, description of the system of world trade and, and merchandise, which is what this globalist system of of, of commerce, which is evil and, and which is um, destroying our white nations, is based upon today. Well, something that can be observed among these purveyors of white genocide uh, in the white nationalist movement is that they may be Jew savvy and have tons of factoids, but they're playing the scapegoat card. And they never attribute what's happening uh, to their own lack of responsibilities. They're confusing uh, cause for effect. Yes, no doubt. And that's what we're trying to bring out in this message uh, after three um, programs, is that um, people that are stuck in the white nationalist movement uh, we're offering them um, a resolve to, if they if they really want to get moving in in saving their own people who they allegedly love, then they have to be responsible enough to understand the cause and effect. And as most Christians are well aware of, it, it starts with their own house. They have to clean their own house in order for the God of our race, the creator of our race, to reciprocate. Um, that's why I hope you know we're getting that point across. Well, well absolutely. We have um, accepted, and, and, and Daisy Duke is a perfect example of this, what we have accepted that this worldliness, we have accepted these international relations, we have accepted these other races, these non-whites as people, and our altruism allows us to project our values onto these other races, our values, our thinking patterns. We imagine that these other races think like us and value the things which we do, and none of that is true at all. And our Christian God demands that we be absolutely separate from the other races, that we make no leagues with them. We have 
um, accepted this Jewish internationalism. We've accepted Jewish mercantilism. We've accepted usury. We've accepted all of these things which are evil, which the Christian God eschews and actually forbids us. So we've accepted all of these things, and in order to repent and to come back into the favor of our God, we have to reject all of these things which he considers as sin. If we don't reject these things, we're going to continue to suffer these punishments. These aren't um, personal. They're personal, but they're more so. They are national sins. And until enough, um, un until, well, Babylon has to fall, but until enough of our people accept that these things are sins, that we shouldn't be participating in these things, then there's no room for repentance. We can't repent of sin until we can identify what that sin is. And, and people that have rejected God and Christ are going to continue to suffer and they're going to be punished and chastised because they don't know even what the sin is. They, they'll never find the cause unless they find their God. Yeah. Well, that, that might explain the animus towards Christian identity is because they don't want to go there, Bill. They, they don't want to get down on their knees and... Um, repent of wrongdoing. It's like in Christian identity, we have the audacity to say the emperor has no clothes. And, and their leaders, uh, so-called leaders like Duke, um, are not above scrutiny. And uh, any good leader should, should be willing to um, address uh, those things that can be explained uh, uh, that are uh, detrimental to the white race. Well, well Duke and, and Black and, and Jared Taylor and, and um, Sam Francis, the, 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 um, the clowns at the Council of Conservative Citizens, all of these so-called white nationalists, Kevin McDonald, they all have embraced the system, that they, they are all um, products of the system, that they, that they don't identify the evils in the world because they have no moral foundation from which to do so. So they can't identify it. They think that the system is good. They think that they can work from within the system. They're too stupid. These are pretty... Some of them, I, I mean, some of them are stupid, like Don Black, but some of these men are pretty brilliant men, yet they're too blind to see that you can never defeat a system when you've embraced it and you're working from within it. And this international system of, of trade and, and um, the, this money system that we work under and the political system that we, um, we see prevalent in the world, it's all been created by the Jew. It's all been created by the serpent. 
The Jew controls it. The investment banking houses control this system. They set it up. They define the paradigm. As long as you're taking part in, in any place within the defined paradigm, you can't overcome the system. You never will because you're stuck in the box. You can't transcend the box until you climb out of it. Yeah, it's sort of like the cliche, when in Babylon, do as the Babylonians. <laughs> well, well, right. That's exactly what they're doing. They're not recognizing the, the real cause, as you put it. They're only trying to um, poke holes in the effects. They're, they're trying to eliminate the effects without curing the cause. And, and that's what the sorcerers do. That's what today's doctors do. When you have a cold, they give you drugs to, to eliminate the effects of the cold, but they can't cure the cold. So well, you always be sick. I think there's probably a strain of universalism also, uh, for one reason or another, that, that runs current in um, this genre of white nationalists that that's basically still regard the other um, races as equal to us because they deny uh, it's just a horrid thought for them to proclaim themselves as white supremacists. That's about the worst thing they could say about themselves. And so there's only two alternatives. You're either equal to them or inferior. Well, well, David Duke and, and this Cretan that wants to call herself a lady, I won't call her a lady, uh, I'd call her a bitch first, named Michelle Renouf, they recently went to a conference in Mexico on Mexican, Mexican immigration into the United States, and they had a, a pleasant audience there, from what I understand, with Mexicans. Mexicans are, are bastards. They're not white. Why should we deal with them as whites? That to embrace these Mexicans and, and to um, confer with them on a level playing field as, as peers, what you're doing is you are exhibiting your acceptance of Jewish egalitarianism. So David Duke and Michelle Renouf, by simply attending this conference and, and then boasting about how wonderful it was, but by simply attending the conference, they have shown that they have accepted Jewish egalitarianism. They should, yeah, and there should be no dialoguing with, um, with these other people. Um, for lack of a better word. Right. There should be no don't time. cast your pearls before swine. You don't give that which is holy to the dogs. Right. There should be no dialogue. Well, someone might ask why God allows all of these rampant murders and a breakdown in law and order and, and even the shedding of innocent blood. Well, he doesn't. <laughs> a better question is why do we allow the heathen to rage and imagine a vain thing. I gave this um, message uh, over a month ago, and that was uh, during 
kind of the city of Baltimore had been declared a state of emergency and was all because of a black dope peddler being arrested and dying while in custody. The details and reality of the situation are yet to be ascertained, but that did not deter Negroes from yet another outbreak of rioting and looting, which spread to other parts of the country. It's really kind of a repeat performance of Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown shootings in which the truth of why these things happen don't matter. A pattern, I think, is emerging that demonstrates unequivocally that the media has an agenda and the truth be damned. When the, for the first time in Major League Baseball history, I'm not a sports fan or baseball fan by any stretch of the imagination, but first time in Major League Baseball history, a game was played without any fans in the stands, zero attendance, as the media provides the lame excuse as civil unrest. The real revolution will not be televised. But viewers at home might get the impression that African Americans just walked out of the jungle. And they have. No matter how much propaganda and blonde high hair, hair dye has been applied to their nappy headed flash mobs or the melting, melting pot meltdown consciousness of white Christian America, the Negro remains brute beast. But back to the game. The, the Wednesday, April 29th, game between the Orioles and the White Sox was played in an empty stadium amid rioting that had gone on since the death of the new Negro poster boy for victimhood, Freddie Gray. During the previous Saturday extra innings game with the Red Sox, fans were asked not to leave the stadium because riots broke out around the ballpark. I watched a video of the black mob that looked to be about 200 crazed animals going berserk in a plaza between the stadium and a, a row of uh, upscale pubs, restaurants, and businesses that were being pelted with a rain of baseball-sized rocks being hurled by the rioters at mostly white patrons sitting in outdoor cafes. When a few misguided white people got up from their seats to reason with the Negroes, they were immediately beaten to a pulp by gangbangers who have no other apparent motivation in life than to commit random acts of violence. The voice was overheard on the video, rather panic-stricken, we've got to fight or they're going to kill us. It was not a battleground as only one side was assaulting the other. The whites were petrified and did nothing. But the Negroes, acting like monkeys in a surreal jungle movie, attacking only what seemed to be vulnerable, where was William Wallace? The most outrageous thing about the game played without any fans is the memory hold that the media threw the truth down. It wasn't peaceful protesters that made baseball history. It was criminal thugs who were out of control. 
Well, well, right. And and if the slug from the mouth of the serpent persecutes the woman enough, perhaps the woman will look for answers as to why this is happening and maybe unite against the flood, repenting from the sin of diversity. I, I want to um, make a quote, if you don't mind, from Luke chapter 13, because um, if you had opened this little section of your presentation with that the idea that, um, that that God allows rampant murders and a breakdown in law and order and the shedding of innocent blood. In, in, in Luke 13, some of the disciples of Christ were concerned that Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea, had taken a heavy hand with some of the Galileans. And Luke 13 from verse 1 says that there were present at that time some that had told him, meaning Christ, of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said to them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18, upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and it slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And the lesson in Luke chapter 13, in those words of Christ, much like what you have, um, I believe, tried to touch on in these two paragraphs, is that there's a national sin and repentance. And if we don't heal as a nation and repent from these sins, that many innocent people are going to suffer because the nation has not repented. Well, even insurance companies called uh, disasters of nature acts of God. <laughs> right. And, and natures are disasters of nature. Hey, I got to tell you an anecdote here. Um, there's an, um, a highway going from Kentucky um, uh, north and south. Um, in Ohio, and um, I forget exactly where it is, but there's a church. And um, at this church are two giant hands, which I guess represent um, uh, Christ. Uh, Pastor Elmore jokingly refers it to um, the field goal sign. But a couple of years ago, lightning completely destroyed these gigantic hands. And I remember one of the, the church people saying, uh, maybe God was trying to tell us something. <laughs> yeah, like this is idolatry maybe, perhaps. <laughs> well, absolutely. Um, cannot uh, marginalize uh, God in the affairs of man. Bread and circuses, uh, 
brought the great Roman Empire down. And, um, you know, there's sports and entertainment, I think, will bring down the great American empire to its knees. I know there's a lot of um, white patrons at the Camden Yards watering holes had drinks in their hands and were, they were watching the, the rioting and violence as if they were watching TV while others were recording the riot with their smartphones. It, it was as if they were numb to what was going on around them or, or perhaps inebriated. But the whole scene was one of sin and gin, in the, the genocide of Israelite nations. Uh, and if we're that far gone, and I think we are, and our people won't run when they should and will run when they shouldn't. Mystery Babylon is likened to a woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the martyrs of Jesus. Now, these black juvenile delinquents often explain their behavior as just good old fun or done out of boredom. I doubt they have the brains to think in abstract terms of mass genocide. The Jew that manipulates them, however, does. Knowing the symbiotic relationship between the two gives credence to the benevolent program of mandatory sterilization. But it may never get to that level of peaceful resolve. Well, well the symbiotic relationship between the Jew and, and the Negro and, and Ladino masses, the, these other races are clearly only a tool in the hands of the Jew, the eternal enemy of our God and our race. And for that reason, the Bible description, which presages all of this, is so perfect as an allegory that these other races are indeed the flood released from the mouth of the serpent in order to persecute the woman. Well, the Jew is definitely the umbrella, and the mongrels stand under it. Well, well, absolutely. If it was not for Jewish agitation, Jewish political agitation, and, and the, um, the, the Jewish behind-the-scenes um, laboring to open up our borders with these immigration laws and, and to flood all white nations with aliens, and, and, and the Jewish um, treachery in Africa and the Middle East, which creates refugees to transport millions of refugees to transport into our white nations under the guise of refugee status. Well, well if, if it wasn't for the Jew, none of this would be happening. You know, Bill, you'd think that the, uh, the darker races would uh, wise up to being exploited by the, the Jews for, for so long a period of time, but they're only motivated by their carnal nature, the bread and circuses. They don't have uh, any spiritual proclivities from God as we do. Well, well, they only live for the, their own appetites for the moment. 
That, that's absolutely true. And, and there are American Negroes who do understand the, the relationship between blacks and Jews and, and the fact that Jews have used blacks to, and, and exploited them against the white man. There are Negroes that understand that, but they are not ashamed of it because they are reaping benefits from it. No doubt there's anomalies out there. However, again, um, the the white nationalists just think they're the darlings of um, speaking the truth and put them on a pedestal and, um, and think that they're somebody to be listened to. There might be some times where uh, one of these anomalies has something interesting to say, but we shouldn't be fed a steady diet of uh, the Brother Nathaniels or uh, the Pastor Mannings, that uh, way too many uh, white nationalists and a few uh, identity Christians um, are persuaded by well, it's the, um, I, I hate to say their name, right, but the religion of Islam understands the relationship between blacks and Jews to a great extent. Right. Well, if I can quote Leviticus 26, 36 through 38, quote, And upon them that are left alive of you, I will send a faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. And the sound of a shaken leaf shall chase them, and they shall flee as fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when none pursue it. They will stumble over one another as though fleeing from the sword, even though no one is pursuing them. So you will not be able to stand before your enemies, and ye shall perish among the heathen and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. That's just what we're talking about here. Is that there's no focus on the God of our race, then they're going to have a fear of other peoples that is unfounded. And cry white genocide. Well, uh, that's basically what they're doing. Um, they, they have their priorities mixed up and uh, are fearing the wrong things. Tell me our land is not enemy territory. <laughs> you want it back, you're going to have to do more than making excuses for not being a racist and being more than conquerors. And for Christ's sake, we are killed all the day long. The one who loves us, however, gives us an overwhelming victory in all of these difficulties. I can only venture to guess what victory means to the Judeo-Christian. It, it must be an acceptance of hyphenating anything with the word Christian without blinking an eyelash. <laughs> victory must be the transfer of mongrels and mongrel-minded fools from earth to heaven, God's abode. Oh, wait, that's what the rapture's all about, right? <laughs> right. Little do these poor souls realize that it will be the removal of the wicked. 
Well, well, I like to joke, and and it's really only a jest, but I like to joke that when the real rapture happens, which is the removal of the wicked, those of us who know the truth will be left behind to explain to these so-called Judeo-Christians just what happened to their niggers. And most Judeo-Christians will be offended. So back in um, May, and it was a Friday, May 7th, was the 64th annual National Day of Prayer. And uh, this has been going on for quite a long time now. You would think that God would give them some sort of sign or divine confirmation of their motives after 64 years. But Really, all we have is the sign of the times with devils and monsters running amok. But the yearly event encourages people of all faiths to get involved, and they do. So, really, what an insanity for God to get involved. Well, the all-star cast of speakers this year funneled to an estimated 35,000 different prayer groups, including... Senate chaplain, Reverend Barry Black, who is a black, Seventh-day Adventist, founded by Jewish Ellen Gould White. Honorary Day of Prayer chairman, Dr. Jack Graham, a Southern Baptist, pastoring one of the biggest mega churches in the country of 40,000 members. And Dr. Ben Carson, another Negro, and brain surgeon who rose to fame criticizing Obamacare, which now qualifies him to run for president of the United States. Well, theme this year was Lord, Hear Our Cry, taken from 1 Kings 8.28, which was spoken by Solomon, the son of David, an Israelite by race, saying, which thy servant prayeth before thee today, end quote. Well, how many servant people did God have? Just one. Quote, remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant, O Israel. You will not be forgotten by me. Isaiah 44:21. Well, the thing is, do our people remember today? <laughs> Who is blind but my servant, and deaf like my messenger, I said. Who is blind like the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of the Lord, Isaiah 42:19. Boy, you know, this isn't rocket science. It's after 64 years, somebody should have seen the red flags that playing international or interracial church is playing interracial death. And people wonder why the gates of hell are prevailing against America. Well, this Dr. Jack wrote a short invocation for all of these prayer groups. And in this prayer... He asked God to, quote, lift us up 
to live in your righteousness. We pray for our beloved nation. May we repent and return to you and be a light unto the nations. And pray for our leaders and ask that you give them wisdom and faith to follow you. Preserve and protect us. And may we stand in the truth that sets us free. End quote. Isn't that just about the most empty rhetoric you've ever heard? If they were standing in the truth, our leaders would not be alien strangers. They'd be white, and they'd be wise and faithful Christians, not amoral, treacherous, craven, and greedy political prostitutes. The National Day of Prayer was touted as a success, but I ask for who? Of the United States Government, Inc., all in capital letters, does not represent white Christians. And they applaud your disappearance, white man, from the earth. Let me explain just a little bit more about this United States Government, Inc., in all capital letters. It may come as a surprise to some people, but there's two contenders in the sight of God competing for the sovereignty to rule in the age to come. One is the United Small U States of America, and the other is the one I just mentioned, the United States Inc., in all capital letters. The latter is not the Constitutional Republic under God, but rather a Delaware corporation registered under that name. The record of its incorporation can be found in state records. This corporation has already been disqualified by God because it adheres to the mercantile law of ancient Babylon under the guise of democracy, which is nothing more than mob rule of golden calves fame. Its flag looks similar to the red, white, and blue stars and stripes, except it has a yellow fringe surrounding it, denoting the love of gold. Is it just a coincidence that the Federal Reserve, another Delaware corporation registered in 1914, and the Internal Revenue Service, as well as the aforementioned corporation above, are identified in all capital letters the very same way Mystery Babylon the Great is spelled in uppercase in Revelation 17.5. They will cap all the letters in your name also to surreptitiously Babylonianize your legal status, a slave to the corporate authority. When the Jew sodomite Abraham Lincoln declared martial law rule, it was never rescinded and the Constitution has remained in limbo ever since. What the Congress did with the passage of the Act of 1871, that was a pivotal date, was to create an entirely new document, a Constitution for the Government of the District of Columbia. The Act of 1871 forming a corporation in the District of Columbia called the United States, Inc., the corporation owned 
by foreign interests moved in and shoved the original Constitution into the dustbin of history. The kind of government they created was a corporation. The new altered Constitution serves as the Constitution of the corporation and not that of America. The original Constitution by our founding fathers was a blessing from God. As the seven times punishment, that is 2,520 years of judgment against Israel, had expired exactly in 1776. Whereas the pseudo-constitution of Jewish Talmudism is satanic and cursed by God. Israel may have lost her identity coming out of the Assyrian captivities, but she had not lost her proclivity for civil and moral laws based on the laws of God. It is, in essence, the struggle between Jacob Israel and Esau Edom to this day over the birthright from God. <clears throat> the white race is being taxed to death so that non-whites can outbreed us. Every year, the Antichrist Israeli state gets three to five billion dollars in foreign aid to turn around and bribe U.S. politicians for more money. Such a deal. They demonize you and call you racist while financing La Raza and the NAACP. But they ignore hundreds of thousands of blacks on white crimes while sending in the National Guard when a low-life gangbanger deserves what they get from police doing their jobs. And just as a sidebar, I'd like to say more and more law enforcement personnel are having their hands tied, not allowed to police non-white criminals, to the point of being paralyzed and policed by race traders in government and prosecuted for doing their jobs. The side effect is that they are becoming gun-shy in responding to violent-prone neighborhoods, which they call hoods, which is run by hoods. You know, many of these news stories are just staged fabrications in order to incite chaos and otherwise create a disturbance of the peace. They threaten to disarm us because colored thugs use weapons to hurt and or kill people. You, after all, are the problem. They don't want, they want your guns and they want you dead. Radical Jewess Susan Sontag once proudly blurted, quote, the white race is the cancer of human history, end quote. This viewpoint has morphed into mainstream academia, promoted without pause in public education, the 10th plank, the Communist Manifesto, being a, a free education for all children. But white children, our posterity, are conditioned to have no regard for their racial heritage or even a future demographic. 
even though every other ethnic group is encouraged to do just that. Our young people are told that the God of the Bible has no special love for them, who are, as Deuteronomy 7, 6 says, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. This past uh, January 19th, uh, Robert Ransdell, our Kentucky candidate for the U.S. Senate, who had the theme, With Jews We Lose, was arrested right here in Florence, uh, Kentucky, for protesting the Martin Luther King Holy Day at a city government building in Florence. He had a sign <laughs> that read, Happy Martin Luther and Killing Day, and was immediately approached by the chief of police and two other officers. The chief told him, you need to leave, because he said the city owns the property, even though he was on public property. Robert argued that he had the right to free speech on public property, but was charged with third-degree criminal trespass anyway, which law only pertains to land and not buildings. I talked with Robert uh, May 8th after he made his first appearance in court and his motion for dismissal was denied. So now it goes to trial, not a speedy one at that, until the next month. And the judge is now adding to the mix that Robert's sign, which was never a question of legality, <laughs> is now considered fighting words, which is legalese, a term used throughout the country in hate speech legislation. In other words, Anything that is construed to hurt the little feelings of an individual. Sound familiar? In uh, part one of these messages, I gave the particulars, if you recall, of the Genocide Convention of 1948, which in part stated, quote, acts committed with intent to destroy in whole or in part causing mental harm, among other things. But wait, that commie, Martin Lucifer Kuhn, and plagiarist, adulterer, and agent provocateur is dead. Maybe his deification makes him sensitive even from the grave. The hypocrisy is a microcosm of what the destroyers of our race selectively enforce in this country while everybody witnessed the marching, looting, and killings in Baltimore and the police doing nothing because the thugs were black. I'll tell you, though, the kingdom of God is coming, not in the years ahead, but right now with white men stimulated with God, with what God has written in their heart and mind. And what is that, someone may ask? Well, it's the new covenant that we read about in Hebrews 8.10, which, if I may read, is very Christian identity. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. 
I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. How about that? Open your eyes, and you will see the manifested presence of God flowing in the veins of his people Israel in signs, wonders, healings, and miracles. Door is opening, and the light is flooding in like never before. Awake, O Saxon. Awake to your righteous wrath to break in pieces the heathen, as Jeremiah 51, 20 says. The simple truth is that when rulers recognize their position under God and know they are but stewards of the throne, they have resolved the most basic issues of earthly governments. As Western nations have systematically become secularized, they have usurped God's right to rule what he created. But the modern rulers are not willing to follow this advice. Establish the kingdom rather than waiting to be overthrown by divine intervention. Prophecy indicates <laughs> they will not do it. They have mocked God with their Samson auction to destroy the whole world before surrendering their wealth and power. I just read a um, fictional satire from World News Daily Report uh, several weeks ago that David Rockefeller has successfully undergone his sixth heart transplant in 38 years at the age of 99. He has also had two kidney transplants and is still extremely positive about his health and hopes to live up to 200 years as he joked with reporters only hours after the operation, end quote. Well, even though it's a spoof, it's not that far from the diabolical mindset that some people think they're invincible without Christ. In our own fellowship, FUCP, the Fellowship of God's Covenant People, we have our own miracle transplant of a lady that had a kidney transplant over 30 years ago, and she's still going strong. She has something Rockefeller will never have, the promise of eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ. There will never be a white genocide if our God has anything to do with it, and he does. If we look closely at today's scripture reading, which Pastor Elmore and I, it's kind of a tradition that we begin our messages with a quote from either the Old or New Testament, which resonates with the theme of the sermon. And Bill touched upon it uh, in the beginning of tonight's program from Isaiah 9.5. For every battle of the warrior is confused with noise and garments rolled in blood 
but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. We'll have to ask, what, what is the fuel of fire? And it explains it in verse 19. It says, people shall be as the fuel of fire. <laughs> the only people that are going up in flames and shall be as stubble are the perpetrators of this insidious notion of genocide, of white genocide. And those who live by the noise of and chatter of genocide shall die of genocide. On that positive note, I implore our brethren to stay close to Christ in the day-to-day battles and in the days ahead, and we will win the war. That concludes part two of No Silver Bullet. Well, well, people shall be the fuel of the fire as the still unfulfilled prophecy of Obadiah says, and the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble, and that describes the Jews themselves, and they shall kindle in them and devour them, and there shall be not any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken it. The, the, um, the scripture guarantees our race eternal life so long as we keep the commandments of our God and eternal punishment if we refuse to turn to him and to keep his commandments, which are actually rather easy to keep. They're not, there's nothing difficult about them. The, um, the guarantee of eternal life is found in the guarantee that eventually enough of our race will repent and turn back to their God. If the... Um, the secular white nationalists refuse to do so, they won't be left behind. They will be, they will face the same extermination, the same punishment in this world that's guaranteed to the enemies of God. Well, many people grapple with this idea of all of Israel shall be saved. What they don't understand is uh, that there may be some disgruntled people once they get there in the kingdom of God, uh, and is not what they expected as far as mansions and streets paved of gold. Well, well, right. I mean, Paul very clearly talks about people who have um, salvation, that their spirits are saved in the day of Christ but they have no reward because they had no good works in this life. And and Daniel says that many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The idea that one may have everlasting contempt indicates that one has a share in everlasting life, but that must be equated 
with those whom Paul explains had no good works in this life and therefore have no reward when they see the next. So, so yes, all of Israel shall be saved. All of our race has eternal life. Not all of us may enjoy it. That is true. Well, and that's why we we emphasize why it's so important, so important, uh, the way we live our lives um, in this lifetime, because there will be eternal repercussions. Well, well, right. You you don't ever have to profess Christ. You don't ever have to. Well, well, I would uh, I would um, un- unless you have a proper assembly of fellow white Christians to go to, I I wouldn't recommend that anybody go to one of these Judeo-Christian churches. You don't ever have to go to a church. You don't ever have to um, do anything that could be seen as religious. If you appreciate and love and care for your fellow white man, and if you keep yourself separate and apart from non-whites, and that the sins which the Jew offers us daily in the world, idolatry, fornication, prostitution, if you live a clean life and love your fellow white man and look out for your kin and take care of them, you have lived your life as a good Christian, even if you've never uttered the name of Christ or, or knew anything about the Bible. So, so it's not what you say with your lips that makes you a Christian. It's how you live your life that makes you a good Christian. And lip service just doesn't cut it. Absolutely not. Look at all these Judeo-Christians that they give God lip service every Sunday morning, and for the rest of the week they worship niggers on television. They're not doing anything for the kingdom of God. They're not um, earning any reward in the kingdom of heaven. That's just lip service. Well, in fact, probably going to a Judeo-Christian church could be equivocated to watching a interracial ball game. <laughs> Absolutely. That the... Um, the mainstream Judeo-Christians are actually worshiping niggers as they run up and down the field all day playing ball. That is idolatry. That is not the way to a um, a better and more excellent salvation. Certainly not at all. Well, thank you, Mark. And, and, yeah. it's, been, um, it, it's been enlightening, and I pray that people find it informative. We, we should not embrace these, that these false notions of white genocide, which are being um, peddled by these godless white nationalists who have no idea that the promise of the living God is that whites will live forever and do have eternal life. All we have to do is turn to simple, basic Christian obedience to that God. That's it. Well, I pray these three programs uh, take root in the hearts and minds of 
those that will listen to it. Praise Yahweh. Good night. Thank you. I'll, I'll be here tomorrow afternoon with Sven Longshanks, and we will be talking about Judea in the intertestamental period. Thank you.